Hello! It's 40 Craze intrepid explorer Nigel Bixby here to introduce part two of our interview series with Alpha Busa and Speaker D. Hey, Nigel. Oh, hello, Ben, aka LS Demon, 40 Craze co host, and how are you? I'm good. Do you mind if I cut in here for a sec? But of course. Hey, everyone, just wanted to start part two of the series here by reiterating a thank you to Alpha Busa and Speaker D. We've been tremendous fans of text to speech for years, and it was an absolute thrill to get to talk to them and to see that they're just as funny and nice as I would have hoped they were. You know, in this episode, we'll talk a little bit about their reactions to Games Workshop and where the hobby's going. We'll share some concerns, but I wanted to call out that even though we're going to give some tough love in here to Games Workshop, we love the hobby, and it all comes from a place of hoping that Games Workshop and Warhammer and 40k really succeed and thrive. So hopefully that comes through in the episode, but I just wanted to state it up front. One more thing to mention is there's a little bit left over from our interview, so we'll have a part three that'll come out in about a week. Stay tuned for that, where we'll talk a little bit about Alpha Buse and Speaker D's reaction to Warhammer Plus and what they'd want to say to their fans. That's it for me. Uh, thanks, Nigel. Okay, well, thank you, Ben. There's nothing really else for me to say, so let's get episode two of this series started. Bye-bye. Cheerio. You guys mentioned through the, the course of our conversations that this is both your, your full-time gig. Is that right for both of you? This is your main kind of income stream? So it, it is my uh, full income stream. In regards to speaker, I he essentially sends me a bill at the end of the month <laughs> for all of the work he's done. <laughs> so Alpha. he's kind of a, a freelancer, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, uh, for me, it's more like I do um, I do send him that bill, and I also do some other projects, and I've got some own on my own that I'm hoping to get sort of pushed out soon, um, and so a lot of that is sort of just sort of setting up uh, for me as I graduated college, I think like like the moment COVID hit, and so like all of my work prospects were like immediately dried up instantly, and uh, it was really fun. And now I'm just kind of getting into the point where I can sort of do some of this stuff like online. I can start kind of, you know, make a little bit of money, pay a little bit of the bills, and we'll kind of see where uh, where we go from there. Because it's just I, I'm, I'm I'm very happy doing what I'm doing at the moment, and it's I'd, just very creatively stimulating and just very fun. I'd like to teach him how to edit video as well, if, if possible. At yes, some point. at some That'd point be... I will join him in this evil cave. Let's talk GW for a minute. How do you guys feel about Games Workshop, both from a, a business perspective and, and just in general, how it's working with the community right now? You, you want to go ahead first, Speaker, because I have a rant. <laughs> Fair yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll go first. I'll try to rant slightly less. Um, I, um, I have been playing this game, as I'm sure most people or many people have, like, you know, back in the, the dark old days where the idea of GW putting out like a rules FAQ was like a pipe dream. Like it was something you'd have to wish <laughs> on a genie to do. And then a genie would tell you, fuck off, I'm not doing that. You know how hard that'd be? <laughs> so like, it's, 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 um, it's really nice to see the game evolve to this state point or like standpoint where it's like, there is actually communication. There is actually, like, you get the idea that the people at Games Workshop actually understand that they're producing a game. However, in, in, there, are, there are some things I dislike. I'm, I'm a bit close to the ground of, like, the played game than I think most people in TTS are. Like, I've, I've played in tournaments. I don't really consider myself a competitive huh. 40K player, but, like, I'm familiar enough with that scene and the workings therein to kind of, like... You're the tabletop boy. Exactly, pretty hmm. much. And I am very happy with a lot of things that GW has done, especially in eighth edition. 
uh, which I think was one of the healthiest additions um, that we have ever had for this game as long as I've been playing. But there are some things that do happen, uh, especially now, that make me make me very concerned. Of course, there's some lore stuff, and I'm sure Alpha will probably talk about that to some extent. But um, I feel right now the the state of the game is in a bit of a strange place. I, I feel like this current edition that we're playing in is one of the most unpredictable and tumultuous additions in terms of like power creep and balance, which were problems that I felt like we had solved a lot in eighth. Eighth had a lot of very healthy things going on for the game. Like we had those indexes drop. We had, you know, like a, a, a far better game state uh, up until the release of like eighth edition Space Marines. A lot of um, FAQs, right? Yeah, yeah, you had a lot of FAQs. You mm -hmm. still have that. And there's a lot of positivity and a lot of like, and like the ninth game state itself I don't even think is like the ninth game is very fun, but in how these codexes have been coming out lately, it is, it does make me very concerned at just how severe we've been dealing with like things like power balancing yeah. and how like these new codexes have been sort of rolling out has made me as a, as a player uh, rather concerned. And there are also some lore things that have happened and can be like, eh. but overall, I think despite that, I have not had too much of an issue with GW outside of like, I roll dice and play the game thing. Uh, I'm sure that Alpha might have thoughts more on like the Warhammer Plus stuff or whatever is going on there. But I, I, I guess I really don't have too sophisticated of a take on that particular situation. I can only really discuss like the board state and like what's going on with this game and what I think could make it healthier. There was something we talked about recently regarding the codexes. Do you, do you want to mention that thing? Oh, yeah. How the uh, codexes, uh, the, I feel like, uh, I really don't want to just kind of like shit on GW because I, I do I do like a lot of like what's going on and I like a lot of what the fuck is happening with Gamers Workshop. But with the codexes, I'm fine, I feel like the newer ones coming out are just so very transparently like, it, it, it feels more and more like the codexes are being designed with the idea of like sales in mind, which of yeah. course all codexes are, but like it feels more transparent than ever before. Whereas before it kind of felt like either in the old days, almost random in the newer days, kind of like, okay, they have like a coherent idea. Lately, I've just been noticing, you know, what's very good in the new codexes? Well, it's what these armies had never built before. Well, what's not so good in the new codexes? Well, it's the things that everyone already had. And there's like a lot of those sorts of changes that make me sort of squint at it. And like, I don't want to call conspiracy, but it's like, you know, I'm, it, it's just hard not to feel like some of these decisions are being based off of like, not the health of the game, but rather like, like income. Income. Yeah. And like, yeah. when you have a game feeling like that, whether that's legitimate or not, it, it, it sort of adds sort of a negative feel to me. And so I found lately when I've been kind of sitting down to play tabletop, I'm a Drakari player. Drakari are at the moment the most powerful army in the game. Yep, yep. <laughs> barring, barring Adaptus Mechanicus, who might be the most powerful Aurorist army in the game. Uh, huh. We still have yet to see what's going on there. But like some of those things are just kind of coming out. And at first I was very excited for these things because it felt like whenever something got a ninth update, they kind of came to like an acceptable level of power and the game state was really, really fun. And now the new Ninth Ed armies are starting to blow the fuck out of the old Ninth Ed armies. And that's just like, it's not a sustainable process when you're having the meta this rapidly shift every six months or like 
like like every six weeks it feels like the meta is just kind of like irrevocably altered and like this new army will be topping all the tourneys and blah 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 blah. Oh yeah, I remember when when Iron Hands came out. I guess it was it was that eighth or ninth? Well, either either way, it was Iron Hands. Then it was Imperial Fists, and then it was you know it was people were getting whiplash with how quickly they had to try to build up competitive armies that were going to win. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's healthy to have a shifting meta. Um, the eighth ed Space Marines, I'm willing to believe, was like a fuck up. You know, like. Yeah. They were really strong, but they did feel really good to play and they were very fun. And like, I felt like you could have just changed them mildly and you would have like had a very good, you know, game state. And eventually we did um, to an extent. The problem was, is that nothing else was updated to its level. And by the time that it is now being updated to its level, it's in my opinion, largely far and away exceeding it to an unhealthy extent. That's my concern with GW at the moment. And it's interesting that you were saying how the, the newer models that you know that you have to go out and buy are, are better in the codex because uh, it reminded me uh, ben and i were talking recently uh, how it seems like uh, gw is not so much interested in bringing new players into the hobby as much as milking their existing players um i don't know about that i actually think that they're very um, minded towards getting new players in i just think that those new players that they're trying to get in are younger than their present player base. I think that's the same reason why Space Marines have been this poster boy forever. It's because they appeal most to the largest demographic of the people that play GW, which are yeah. younger, like you know, like teenagers, or you know, or like like twelve year olds and twelve year olds to like eighteen year olds. And I think that's totally fine. And I I I I don't like. I'm not prefacing this because a lot of people get absurdly doomer. And they go on these insane rants about how Games Workshop is infiltrated by the the, the evil, you know, the the uh, the, uh, the 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 terrible Illuminati, and you yeah, know, the, Anun- the Anunnaki are yeah. ruining my game. And it's like, no, I don't, I don't even think it's like that. I, I don't even know if GW is being as cynical as I might be alleging. I just think that the current game state is less healthy than it was in eighth, and so I feel compelled to, I guess, with uh, a platform, I guess, to mention that if asked. But overall, I mean, I don't think we've had very many problems with GW, uh, like personally as like creators. I feel like, oh yeah, no, yeah. yeah, like we've we have not been cracked down upon, which is good. No. I certainly don't think we're going anywhere. And um, you know, I well, I think that optically, I think Warhammer Plus has been a little bit shit for them because it has sort of like created a hostile environment that I think they need to work to rectify. Like people are kind of feeling like Games Workshop is stealing their favorite content creators. And I think that that's unfortunate. I don't even fully blame them for that, the GW for that. I just think that they can do things to like mitigate that reaction. But like overall, I I don't really shit on them. I just think that we're in a weird place. We should Mm -hmm. talk about it. Yep, yep, Sorry, that was like a rant. No, no, not at all. Con- it's a single <laughs> contiguous run-on sentence. My apologies. No, no, no. It's I think there's a lot of great points in there and some threads I'd love to pull on. But first, Alpha Busa, you know, had anything uh, to um, add to? Uh, well, I I was gonna go on a different rant. <laughs> <laughs> first of all, thank you for that Alpha Busa speaker. You bring up a lot of good points. You know, part of me really wants to get into back and forth on this because I'm really passionate about just GW's business model and. Like you, it's a business. They got to make money. I'm not as down on them for a lot of things like putting on a lot of space marines. If people are buying them, that's what they should do, right? Like they have to, they have investors they got to speak to. They have a bottom line and growth targets they're trying to hit. I think the piece where I think there's a lot of missed opportunities is kind of like what Tom was saying, not just new players in terms of new people that fit the typical archetype of 
you know, X percent of my income is going to go toward models and, and my love of GW. But we're at a turning point, I think anyway, a little bit like what we saw Marvel at in 2000, where the comic business, which was its core, started sinking and they tried to expand out their IP and were clumsy at first, but then eventually went mainstream. So, so for me, it's, it's less, uh, not quite, I should say, bringing in new players. It's changing the type of customer that they're trying to interact with. If, if you can get a couple hundred people to buy 20 bucks worth of merch, you're going to make more long-term and have a bigger market cap than if you just have the same hundred people that are going to pay $2,000 a year. Well, I, I do want to make one point that I think like, I, because I, I'm not, I would never assume that I am very uh, into the, uh, the economist side of Games Workshop mm-hmm. because I'm not, I, 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 I don't really know how the, um, like how the marketing team deals in reality. Yeah, for sure. However, I do feel that the Space Marine point in particular, I I want to say that it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in regards to them releasing more Space Marines. Fair point. They're obviously, the most popular thing. Yeah. Because they sell more Space Marines, it, ju- it becomes like a, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy, a loop. That just- Positive feedback loop. Uh-huh. When we have Age of Sigmar on the side, which I love, I I am more and more drawn to Age of Sigmar. And this is one of the reasons why. Due to the fact that the start of Age of Sigmar was so absolutely disastrous, it actually had (laughs) a positive impact on the future of that setting, which is that due to Stormcast being such a obvious carbon copy of Space Marines but placed in a fantasy setting, people didn't take to them very well. And they, um, due to that, they started, they, they haven't gotten the same like privilege and star power as, uh, you know, the avatar of Age of Sigmar as Space Marines have in 40K. Thus, a lot more creativity and like more creative liberty has been lent to the, the sculptors and the makers of Age of Sigmar, which has resulted in absolutely fucking gorgeous sets and a lot of potential for like conversion and your own like, uh, creativity taking center stage a lot better lore to be completely honest with you mm-hmm. and just like this fan- this setting that started as such an absolute disaster has actually managed to develop into a super healthy and very fun game uh, that has a very nice and solid setting to back it up and of course super cool models <laughs> and I-, I feel like a lot of um a lot of that could be ported over to 40k seamlessly. It's just that it seems like they have a completely different idea in mind for 40k as a setting, which I think is unfortunate because just looking over at Age of Sigmar and all of the cool creative releases that they're getting, and they are not getting like just Stormcast either. They're getting like we have uh, how for how long did we only get like different kinds of elves say? Like that, that that wouldn't happen in 40k. They're going to have to go back to the Imperium, like to and fro between releases of Xenos all the time. Meanwhile, over in Age of Sigmar, they just release whatever they want. And I, I just really want that for 40k. Like I desperately want it, and I think it would work if they actually gave the opportunity for the Xenos to shine as well, and and, and chaos. 
that's that's an awesome point off of you. And actually, I think this is this is something we talked about before too. It's are people buying Space Marines because that's what everyone wants, or is that what they're buying mm -hmm. because that's the only new model available? Yeah, it, it figure this as well. Due to the fact that a majority are Space Marine players, that's a fact. However, I do not think that a majority of Space Marine players are necessarily entirely loyal to only playing Space yeah. Marines. I think a lot of players would be interested in investing in perhaps a second army if they actually got some cool new models. <laughs> like, I think, I, I, I feel like, sure, you have a lot of space room releases that people buy, but if you then go and release a whole lot of new, cool, creative models for other factions and upgrade their sets and everything, I think people are going to take more interest in those factions as well and purchase, say, you know, a secondary or territory army or whatever. I, I, I feel like it's a lost opportunity, more or less. And I, I hope that they, I do see a, a, like a glimmer of hope models-wise in the new orcs, especially the, the Beast Snuggest. Super like, cool. Yeah, super I thought, cool. I thought they were Age of Sigmar models at first. Yeah. And then I saw the gun. <laughs> super cool models. Absolutely. I, so, Alpha Busa, I think, you know, one of the things you mentioned earlier in the show is most of your disposable income goes to that local hobby shop to thank them for getting into the hobby. It sounds like what you're saying is to GW, if they're listening, Alpha Busa alone will fuel, yeah, yeah, fuel your yeah, business gonna, metrics. I am going to wail for you hard gamers workshop. Just release <laughs> new cool models for everyone else. <laughs> They'll buy enough to make up for it for everything else. And then really, exactly. it's a full circle, right? Take the risk and I'll guarantee it will be worth your while. <laughs> Absolutely. So you mentioned you had another rant. I'd, we'd love to hear it. What's, what else is on your mind when it comes to GW's oh, yeah. business? You said tells all. So this is more on the, um, what should I say? Like at, at a management and lore level, I, I, I guess. Uh, and this is also kind of related to marketing, but in a different sense, I'd say. So Games Workshop have no doubt improved since the dark days of the early 2010s. Like, as far as I can tell, the, uh, the new CEO or new CEO like, has really turned things around. Uh, so, so no matter my criticism, I stand by that. It is better than it was without a doubt. However, um, currently my biggest criticism, I think, uh, other than the thing that I just babbled on about regarding like space marines in a model sense is their treatment of 40k since the release of remember death mask yes mm -hmm. <laughs> oh god death mask was a set that released with i think the at, towards the end of seventh edition this was eldar eldar harlequins in particular versus um uh, well space marines <laughs> <laughs> well, specifically um, the Death Watch. Yeah. Specifically the Death Watch. I think the Death Watch were releasing as new models at that mm -hmm. stage. Yeah. So what happened here is that they wanted to actually try something out. They wanted to see if they could actually progress the plot a little bit. And this was the thing that essentially set off Gathering Storm later on. What they did was, okay, we're going to have Eldrad lead a troop of Harlequins from uh, the Veiled Path, which are like the most important Harlequin 
No. Uh, uh, I think they were Midnight Sorrow. I, I, whatever. No, I think they're Veiled Path. Were they Veiled um, Path? Oh my god. Yeah. I don't even yeah, remember. Yeah, I, I'm 99% sure it's Veiled Path. I'm sorry if I'm fucking wrong. Yeah, <laughs> uh, So, essentially what happened was uh, they were going to revive their god Iniad, which is like a big deal because Eldred had to find a way to cheat Iniad into existence, which previously established lore uh, only said that, oh, okay, so Uniad will only be revived if every Eldar kills themselves and becomes one with the Infinity Circuit. Mm-hmm. So this was kind of a like very doom-gloom, you know? But Eldrad was like, well, wait, if I do this thing, which is like I transfer the energy from all of the Infinity Circuits in every single craft world and have them hit this giant ball of a crystallized Eldar that have, has become a moon... Uh, then we can perhaps revive Uniad. And he was going to succeed, but then the Space Marines came! <laughs> and for whatever particular reason, mostly for, you know, marketing reasons, because they were releasing Death Watch with this set as a new faction, they decided that, oh, okay, so we're going to throw in the Death Watch and have it be led by Captain Artemis, the worst Space Marine character. (laughs) (laughs) Who then proceeds to uh, stop the ritual, essentially, even even though they had no real reason to even be there. Like it would probably be more make more sense if it was like uh, Slaneshi demons, say, who invaded yeah. the planet to try and stop this ritual that is in the end going to kill Slanesh. But no, it was Space Marines. Death Watch Space Marines. <laughs> Completely weird. And this was the start of Games Workshop. Uh, Games Workshop's like mainline lore kind of taking a bit of a weird turn and one for the worse in my opinion at this in my opinion at this point in time so uh, because i feel like their attempts at advancing uh, the meta plot and the writing for the imperium in particular has been like a stumble after a stumble after a stumble I feel the, the the more corporate side of games workshop has just simply taken up in my opinion too much room in the creation process of 40k the thing that irks me the most about this is incidentally and particularly viscerally the space marine hero stuff i don't know if you're familiar with this it's like it, it's a release like a series of uh models release oh, oh it's like the blind by you... hero yeah 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 And the reason why I think that is because it affects the setting in a way that I do not like. It is the point of the Imperium, as you might know, is that it's the grimmest regime imaginable, right? Uh Where a human life is just meat for the grinder. It is the worst possible existence, horror that defies comprehension. And what's what's, what's worse is that you... Uh, is it's it's only one of many senselessly evil power structures in the galaxy. The one difference is that you, as a human, live within this particular evil, and you are gu- guaranteed to suffer for it. And what is possibly even worse is that the senseless suffering the normal human in the Imperium lives through is not actually necessary and never has been. And this is, I feel, the core of 40K's soul. Like, it's, it's, it's established lore, and it has been since day one. And building upon this, I think, is 
like this hilariously dystopic existence is both very easy and funny and, and rewarding. It, 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 it is, it is a, a very unique kind of escapism, if you, if you get me. Yeah, we had a whole episode on what is it about Grimdark that is so entrancing and refreshing and yeah. it's unique. It, it pulls you out of your day to day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I feel like this aspect is being watered down and contradicted by some of the recent actions uh, by Games Workshop. Like by putting a lot of focus on, and this is just one thing. There, there's a lot of different things I just want to preface, but putting a lot of focus on the heroic space marine who <laughs> trudged the Sinos, blam, blam, heresy. We are entirely justified in our actions and we are epic superheroes who will save the galaxy for the emperor. And don't... <laughs> I, I hate it. It's, it's wrong. And this was previously like a veneer for the nature of the Astartes and that they're indoctrinated biological superweapons whose only mm -hmm. real existence is senseless, unquestioning murder. <laughs> and there is just another facet of like the Imperium's totalitarianism. But now it's often just like taken at face value instead. Like the Space Marines are just cool superhero good guys. <laughs> And that makes my brain rot and makes my trust in Games Workshop's ability to write for them. Like it, it kind of starts shrinking a lot, you know? That was more or less that particular rant over with. I'm, I'm very sorry. <laughs> it's just something that, something that upsets me a lot. Um, or, well, okay, it, it, just, it, it just kind of makes me a bit like slightly depressed in some way. I don't know. It's weird. I care too much. <laughs> no, I think it's it's a really good point. Like looking at the the death mask, you're right. It's kind of a weird choice to choose the death watch, and I think you're you're right. It probably reflected an economic consideration. Vice, like what would be best for the lore? Are there any other like examples of like lore conflations where you're just like, oh, that was a stupid choice? Ah, uh, yeah, I, I could speak to that. I don't know about Alpha. Oh, I mean, go, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Um. So I'm cursed with liking the Eldar. Um. <laughs> uh, and oh, yeah. th this is perhaps the most piteous and depressive existence one can get as a 40k fan. Because everyone, every time the Eldar appears, right? The Eldar version of Grimdark seems to be that anytime they attempt to do anything, they fail. Ever. Which I think is insanity. Because it, it tends to sort of lead to a situation to where no one... So you're a wrestling fan. Yes. You know that if a wrestler loses all the time, no one cares. Yeah. Doesn't matter how cool they are. Doesn't matter what like things they have going on. Well, the Eldar have basically done nothing for like the past like 20 years, like ever since the Eye of Terror campaign, whenever the hell that was, but lose incredibly hard in the war. If people know about them, they know it via the confusing, strange craft world society that makes it kind of hard to make an individual character because every Eldar is part of like, a, a uh, aspect shrine or they assume some role that takes over their personality. You know, the Dark Eldar aren't that, and in my opinion, are one of the coolest factions of 40k, yeah. but they're also incredibly dark and, like, evil and, like, in a way that not everyone <laughs> not everyone is going to always be in love with. And while Dark Eldar are hit less with, like, being just a magically incompetent at everything, that's largely because no one ever writes about them. And so if you tend to write about the Dark Eldar, you tend to kind of think, oh, the Dark Eldar are kind of cool, and I Mercifully, they tend to kind of, when they lose, they lose a bit more in a dignified manner. Or otherwise, like, you're kind of treated like more of, like, um, a substantial threat 
because of those reasons. But as an Eldar fan, and I and I like all Eldar, even though Dark Eldar are my preference, it is kind of mind-boggling to see them, and Xenos as a whole, kind of consistently uh, get like completely fucking shafted in this way. Uh, for instance, they did the new Psychic Awakening runs, I think just before Ninth Drop, and the Craftworlders and the uh, Jirkari got a Psychic Awakening book. In that book, it's focused mainly on the Yanari, so not the Craftworlds, not the Jirkari, really. Uh, it was mainly Drizar versus Janezar. The Jirkari were important insofar as they were trying to kill the good guys. No real other agenda outside of Vect being spiteful. And the Yanari were kind of trying to do their magic dance and unify everyone and get a big cohort going on so it was eldar v eldar eldar won of course but such is their way they both also lost drizar died janezar died they both died and then one of them came back and then drizar is like a phoenix lord whatever complicated you don't who cares the point is is that that was like the big lore event and it was leading up to this idea that the uh, that the yanari would kind of come together on like i think like this place that's incredibly powerful for slanesh you know like this incredibly powerful place and they would face off against slanesh's greatest champion you know and they would do something substantial with like their new accumulated power all of the different rungs of the dar or the eldar were all working together you know in the yanari at this point they had beaten the dark eldar they're going forward they're going forward to fight this giant terrible creature and they all die and they all are beaten and they all explode but just barely, with everyone dead, Yvrain and, you know, the Yinkar and all that shit, they're able to just barely power through and defeat the Slanesh demon. And then it turns out it was all an illusion. None of this had happened, and no one could beat the, the, the assembled Keeper of Secrets. And so the Yinari retreated in defeat, having lost to the new Slaneshi Keeper of Secrets. I have no idea why they did this. Because this did not make anyone look good. The uh, the new Keeper of Secrets, Shalaxi Hellbane, I do not believe got rules in that book. I believe that she was not very protected against other factions. And so in the end, it just sort of served to like frustrate and stymie the Eldar metaplot. And this sort of thing just happens constantly. Uh, the Eldar are typically treated in a way to where the only thing that the writers can think to do with them is have them die tragically. And I feel like this really frustrates them in particular. And I think it's something that all Xenos factions sort of have to deal with. It's the fact that like, you'll have a big focus on the Imperium, the Sisters of Battle, the whoever, the whatever. They will be large in the meta plot. Chaos will be there to an, a lesser extent. And the setting is mostly about them. And the Xenos are kind of also there. And they're not really doing too much. It's the same with the Tau who unlocked like this nexus to actually be able to move about the setting in more than one small area of the world and then immediately got kicked out of it by the death guard who didn't care and just beat them. It's it's interesting you mentioned how Games Workshop could take some story beats from wrestling but also what you're you know the, the lesson being don't make all the Xenos the jobbers but the, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The, the other side of it is, I mean, Stan Lee, I think he was being interviewed on, you know, like, what's what are some secrets? And he said, like, if you got the Hulk fighting Captain America, neither one can win and neither one can lose. Right? Yeah. Like, if you got two heroes facing off, it's it's got to, they got to both look good. They got to both save face because you got your your two distinct fandoms and, you know, you're setting press. Unless it's like, if one loses, it's a really big deal. And then turn that into something like when Captain America got killed. Uh, okay, again, I'm, I'm probably, this might have happened before you were born speaker. But anyway. Cool. 
but but that's the point, right? So it's it's yeah. how do you create a situation where there's a meaningful conflict and then both sides, there's a MacGuffin that enables them both to save face and look good. And you're absolutely right, like Eldar get like for a while, wasn't the avatar just like if you killed the avatar, that was like whether that oh, was yeah. the 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 coming of age in yeah, the he, he he was the Brooklyn brawler of uh, HQ choices, yeah. He would, he would like you, you. I mean, you had back in the day, you had like Night Lord. I think there was like a story about like a single Night Lord's dreadnought soloing an entire craft world. And so it's like you would like. In, I remember back in the day, you would have all the lore in the codexes, and it would be like everyone like would get lore about them winning and them being really cool. The exceptions were the Tyranids, who if they won, there would be no record of it. So they typically were about near losses and would scale the previous victories otherwise. And then the Eldar who would lose consistently in their own codex for reasons no human being could possibly fathom. <laughs> I'm pretty sure if you looked at like all of the events that like Eldar are in versus like all of the events the Imperial Guard, the designated job squad of the Imperium are in, the Imperial Guard probably have a higher win-loss ratio in terms of canon battles than the Eldar. If they don't, it's merely because the Eldar are just so infrequently mentioned. Well, hey, at least at this stage, at this very point in time, after the release of the new book, God Blight, they aren't Abaddon's character. <laughs> oh, God. oh, yeah, yeah, God Blight. I don't know if you've heard of this. Uh, maybe I should no. mention it because it might be a spoiler. Uh, All right, hold on, hold on. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Okay, go for it. Uh, essentially, I'm just going to sum it up short towards the end of the book. This is probably something that they might, you know, completely change in an upcoming book. I don't know. But this is in the Dark Imperium series. I think the third book called God Blight. Towards the end of the, uh, the book, it is revealed that the Emperor is now essentially free to roam due to the Great Rift having been created. Hmm. So it was actually super good for him that the Great Rift was created by Abaddon. So Abaddon's entire character has been severely undermined because that was like his biggest accomplishment as the warlord of chaos and as the essentially antagonist of the setting. And I just think that's so depressing and bad. And I really hope that they somehow actually, I don't know, rectify this somehow yeah. and put the emperor back in the box or something. I don't know. It's just, this is like, Abaddon is already struggling as a character due to the fandom having this preconceived notion of him being a big failure. Oh, yeah. Haha, funny meme. But this doesn't help at all with that. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely. It. It's it's just very strange. It's kind of mystifying, like because like you look at the Xenos armies. Xenos armies are typically in the most depressing state. Um, you look at like even and like even now like chaos getting like this shit with like Abaddon and like what whatever the hell is going on with certain revelations in Godblight. I mean, hey, maybe it could all be really really cool. Maybe it could not be. I don't know. It's just like it feels like there's no real thought about how to proceed forward constructively. And like take the factions seriously for what they are in the lore. And I think that's one of the most frustrating aspects. Like the Eldar will always be like, even the Eldar plot development of the Inari exists in such a way to where the Inari being prevalent is not a thing all Eldar players will enjoy. And in fact, Inari are specifically in opposition to the majority of craft worlds and Drukhari ensuring that any victory the Inari have will happen at least in part at the expense of two other Eldar factions. And I don't know why they did that. 
uh, I don't know why the Tau are like still have like 18 worlds and are increasingly becoming more and more artificially grimdark for what is essentially not really like a, uh, like 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 the Tau have kind of gone from their the most optimistic faction 40k to it what it feels like people who don't like the Tau writing the Tau and making them evil but in like a weird dumb way <laughs> and I like it, it feels like Imperial Guard players are writing the Tau like the people who are really pissed off about the Tau being nice are writing them now uh, um, yeah. mm-hmm. and then like you know what's going on with the orcs um, they don't that's fine they're orcs but even they there's one big thing you're missing oh yes Raka versus Ragnar Blackmane uh, <laughs> Uh, I, Ragnar Blackmane, known to have had like I don't know a single skirmish with Thraka in the past, I believe, got the the big billing to fight against Thraka because they needed to release the Space Wolves, I guess, instead of the more obvious choice being Yarik. Um, yeah, and then they killed each other, but they both survived. Ragnar because he was turned into a Primaris Marine, and Thraka because they grafted his head back on his shoulders and made him bigger. I, I think. Yeah. Or maybe I'm mistaken. No, no, that's that's the orc science. I believe uh, you captured it <laughs> yeah, precisely. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the orc they, they medical doctor. could have doctors. made Yorick a Primaris Marine, no. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I would buy that bottle. I, I imagine, yeah. But it's, it's a pretty ballsy move. So I, it might have been, it might have had my respect in that sense. Yeah. Actually. I just, um, I would like Games Workshop to treat their lore more like wrestling. <laughs> like, more like you need to book people. You need to make like if all this stuff is an advertisement for the game, you are advertising Space Marines like like very well, but it's kind of like like a John Cena situation, yeah. and I I feel like that's not that's not you could be doing far better. You could be booking everyone to be like over, but instead you're sort of focusing on only having like one or two people that are quote unquote over. You know, like the Necrons, I can't imagine the Necrons are never going to really get their asses kicked, but like I cannot imagine anything ever happening in the meta plot to really make the Necrons like very important anytime soon. In the WWE context, they're kind of like our truth. Like he shows up every now and then and is awesome on the mic and then he just kind of disappears <laughs> and you're like, what's he doing? Yeah, yeah, a little. And it, like, and like, um, you know, the meta plot isn't the most important thing. I think people get overly preoccupied with no, 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 the no. meta plot. Because the real focus is, is the meta plot just is window dressing to the game and the universe that you are creating. And that's why 40K has its massive captive audience. It's because it's that creative outlet for like thousands of people. At the very least, that's why I'm into it. You know, it's yeah, because yeah. it's the, like, like even, even in the times that it had a competitor in War Machine, I always gravitated more towards 40K, regardless of like the qualities of the games at that time, because yeah. 40K offered you a chance to sort of make your own setting make your own lore and become engaged in that setting make your own dystopia place exactly and when that when that dystopia becomes i guess actively hostile to people who are not necessarily interested in engaging with it on the um i guess space marine level that can be rather frustrating and i think that's why even now even though gw is a far healthier company than it was in fifth edition there's still like a hotbed of resentment it's because there's still like this artificial feeling that like we are slaved to the meta plot and the meta plot says that big big screaming marvel action hero space marine man is (laughs) is like the only compelling thing in the setting and the only thing that will ever matter 
yeah. And I feel like it creates a slight pulling prophecy where what yeah. they push is what sells. And you're right. It is worth pointing out. It is also absolutely worth pointing out that despite despite me being incredibly like kind of just down in the dumps over this particular stuff, I do get still I do still get like a serotonin kick as soon as I look at my cool gene stealer cult army. <laughs> so, like I, I still like war, like the Warhammer forty thousand is never going to leave my brain. And a lot of parts I'm still completely infatuated and in love with. Uh, it's just that particular aspect. It's it's honestly to both of you, like if it's kind of like when you have, let's say like a family member or a really good friend and you know they're not living up to their potential, like you really care for that person and you're always going to. But you're like, come on, you're so close. Just, just yeah, you know, like yeah. apply to college or just... Just, you know, you know, do your homework or, or you know, just uh, lose the weight. You know, you're so close to being what we know you can be. And we're going to love you no matter what. And we're going to be super proud of you when you do great things like release awesome models or, or, you know, push the lore in a good way. But that's why we're also just so invested. Just like, come on, you could have done better. Oh, there. absolutely. Well, that's the end of part two. Really appreciate Alpha Buse and Speaker D coming by, and we'll continue this conversation next week in part three. Until then, cheerio, ta-ta, good luck, and blood for the blood god for the emperor.